0: our podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on Straight Independent Radio. Check out the new Straight Indie Radio website at straightindieradio.us. That's straight with an A, indieradio.us. I'm your host, the idea dynamo, Samantha Pierce. Life Fantastic is sponsored by NeurodiversityConsulting.org and sanchia.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things we do with people with disabilities. I'm joined today by my co-hosts and colleagues, Liza Citron, disabled autistic self-advocate and future special education teacher, Scott Davis, disabled advocate, entrepreneur and speaker, and Dr. Jeremy Pierce, philosopher and my husband. Our conversation today is going to be around the inclusion of people with disabilities in faith communities. Faith and religious practice is an important aspect of the lives of many people. And it's important in the lives of families who have disabled family members. And there's always a conversation around how people with disabilities can be included in their faith communities, can be included in religious practice, and how successful faith communities are in doing that. So I wanna get the conversation started with the question about what has been your experience uh, as a disabled person, or as someone who's caring for disabled people, of being included in your faith community? Scott, I'll start with you.
1: Uh, perfect. Uh, for me, I've been included because uh, I've always gotten rides to and from my church in Fairfield, and uh, they've been very supportive. And even in the pandemic, getting helping pick up the groceries in the beginning, they shot for me. But then now it's just pickup, and I do my all the stuff on the computer. And I also uh, then uh, included a friend of mine, Gary, from the Kennedy Center. Uh, because uh, I realized, I mean, for a long time, I went to his group home and learned about their lives and encouraged them. And when he went independent to a different group home, I reached out to him and we included him in our community. And that's been an adventure. And we've, and his staff has been able to include him, hooking him up to their iPad and connecting him to his 15-inch screen. So he's able to participate. And it's, it, I find it to challenge when you have someone in an environment and there's a different age group and you try to include them, but then some of the uh, peers my age get uncomfortable when when they might be approached differently, et cetera. So it's, it's a different level of understanding, but basically it's been a good experience with myself and with Gary. And ironically, he has the same last name as I do. And I always say, God has a sense of humor so it's it's been a good experience, but it, it can be a challenge. Growing up at times, it's tough. I know many families who have trouble integrating their, their family life into disability and because of, we'll talk about some of the factors such as barriers to entry
0: and. Mm, yeah. So Liza, how about you? What's your experience been with, um- inclusion in your faith community
2: first of all i apologize if there's any noise again we're working from home i'm working from my family's home and i'm pretty sure that their dog is right behind me (laughs) but scott you were talking about the difficulty when people are a different age than you this was not yeah she's definitely right behind me this was not my experience when I was growing up, but when I was here in the Berkshires taking care of my mother when she was sick, we went to a particular church. And the church was almost all made up of people 60 years of age and older, well, except for my parents, let's say 50 years of age and older, and most 60 years of age and older. And I am not only autistic, but I am physically disabled as well. So I was on the praise and worship team because I'm a musician, as is my father. But I was having times when I could not stand up to do it. So I was bringing a chair up there one time. And my pastor, the pastor there, confronted me and basically said, you cannot sit down when you're pleading worship. You are a bad example for other people. This is not acceptable. And the thing about that community is that they accepted disability when it was present in older people, when it was present in most of the members of the congregation. People were doing announcements or doing prayers or even speaking, sitting down but suddenly that was okay because they were senior citizens. But me, I can't possibly be disabled enough to need them. I am either faking it or I am not setting a good example because of needing these accommodations. Now, I stopped going to this church about a year and a half in and I have never really been comfortable in churches in the first place. I'm kind of in this weird space as a Messianic Jewish person where if we don't have a Messianic shul near us, synagogue near us, which is pretty common. When I was a kid, we moved specifically for congregational reasons, oftentimes, but proper Not proper but messianic shuls that you can actually go to and that we feel comfortable at are few and far between so we were in this weird position of having to choose okay do we go to a non-messianic believing synagogue it's basically following jewish traditions and all of judaism but with the belief added that jesus or yeshua as his hebrew name is did make the sacrifice and that same belief as a Christian might have. So we had the choices of, okay, do we go to a school synagogue or do we go to a church? Both of where which you're uncomfortable. We were lucky enough to find a messianic school in which I grew up. But the thing about that. There were few people who didn't see me like this, but to a lot of people, I was always the disabled girl and I was overshadowed by some of the other people. And I didn't, while I felt comfortable, accepted by some people, there was always this expectation on me or this thought of me that I am the disabled person in the congregation. I am different. I am not as responsible as the other kids my age. I am not this. I am not that. I, there was this continual thing that I was lesser than this person who was my friend, who was actually two years younger than me, by the way. But I was disabled. And while there were people that accepted me for who I was, many of whom I am still in contact with, they're definitely was this shadow over me that you're not the same you are different you are worse off you are less trustworthy you are something else and while being different i'll admit i'll readily admit that that's true. but it's the stigma there and the Belief that you are lesser and while people may not like believe that consciously there's something there. And I also feel like a lot of the time certain groups can become somewhat like indoctrination and cultish and that is even more present when you go when you get to that the the belief of of how you view disabled people. Like, I can't possibly be as firm in my belief, or I can't possibly be acceptable compared to other people.
0: That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff to experience. There. Yes. there. So for you, it sounds like there were challenges mm-hmm. with acceptance and acceptance of you and acceptance of accommodations to help you be included. Yes and a certain amount of social isolation associated with with the stigma attached to disability. And I
2: honestly honestly think that contributed to my need to mask because when I wasn't um, masking is for autistic people, at least appearing, doing everything you can to appear neurotypical or not autistic. And I think for me that contributed because when I was masking, Hmm. at least for new people, I wouldn't appear as autistic and I would maybe be a little bit more accepted. Not that that worked, but it was something that I thought was a possibility.
0: Hmm. So I, I want to move on to you, Jeremy, because our experience has been lengthy and a bit complicated with uh, with faith communities and accommodating accommodating disability. So let's hear from you about what your experience has been in our faith community.
3: Okay, so when we were, I mean, we were members of the same congregation for 20 years, so it wasn't like we were moving around and experiencing different groups of people or anything for for that entire time anyway, mostly, Um, but um uh, we had, uh, I mean, we visited a few other places. There were a couple years where um, one of our children was going with, <laughs> with Sam to a different congregation, and the rest of us were attending the same one that we, were, that we had been part of. But for most of that time in that one church, we had, uh, I think, largely people kind of understood wanted to reach out and help us in various ways, but didn't quite know how. And um, there were a few people who were very, very helpful, very, very good. When we, um, when our, our son who especially needs support would go off to Sunday school class, the church would provide an, a, a helper for him who would focus on him one-to-one when he was younger. And that was very freeing for us because we didn't have to do it. We didn't have to go with him to that. We could stay in the the service and, and be part of what everyone else was doing. And it was one of the few times per week, other than when he was at school, that we didn't have to worry about him. We knew that there was someone that we could trust who was with him. As he got a little bit older, the church became less convinced that they could provide that not because um, they didn't want to, but because he um, was having needs that required a little more specialization. Some of the people who had been working with him were aging, and he was getting stronger, and they weren't sure they could handle him by themselves. So uh, they did provide pairs of people, one of whom was an older, responsible adult, and one of whom was a teenager who would be able to physically handle him a little bit more, and that went on for a little while. That was pretty good, but there have been times, there were times when they were expecting us to provide someone ourselves or do it ourselves, so that when he had to leave the service, one of us would have to be with him, or we'd have to pay for someone to do so, and um, that was not always easy to find someone. So, but it was partly as a result of being part of a church that was somewhat small. They didn't have a large staff that they could draw on. I think that was part of the issue there as well.
2: I do have a question for you. For your other son, your oldest child who is now 20, how willing, seeing as he is a developmentally disabled individual, how willing were they to kind of accept recently that he is now an adult? Because that is something that I have struggled with in the faith community in which I grew up. I come back and people, there are people who do see me as an adult. I'm 24, almost 24 now, and there are people who will see that. But because I'm developmentally disabled, some people, especially since I grew up with them from age nine, will not see me as the adult that I am and doing the things that I am. How, how, how much do you think that's affected your your, your eldest son? Has he said anything he, about his experiences?
3: He, he turned 18 as we were moving to a different church, so it's okay. not a factor. They, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, they that, that, that's not... That happens in cases that have nothing to do with disability, though. There's the whole prophet is not yes. without honor in his hometown, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, my father experienced that. He grew up in a church. When he became an adult, he was a member there, and he just did not find that they were welcoming of him to engage in any ministry, well, at some, I, because he was he was the one who grew up in that church. Yeah, so I, that's the kind of thing that that um, that can happen without disability.
2: I do find, though, with myself and with other developmentally disabled people with whom I've spoken, that it does tend to happen to us to a, either more or a more severe degree, because if we're developmentally disabled, we are so often infantilized.
3: Right, right. That would, that would be a further complicating factor. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't an issue for him because he was when he was 18, we were in a different setting than the one we okay. brought in. So it's speaking
0: to that, having, you know, adults having difficulty recognizing that people that they knew as children are now also adults. I I think that's a pretty common, a common experience across the board. It's a common experience for adult children where their parents struggle to recognize that their child is now an adult. I know for me, Having grown up in the church, it's a little bit weird talking to the adults that I've known all my life as adults. And I imagine it's weird for them seeing me function as an adult as well. Well, to be fair, there there was a a big gap where they didn't see my growth and development because I wasn't always right next to them.
2: To be fair, your father is a congregational leader though, if I remember correctly. Yes, which has a
0: layer of weirdness yeah (laughs) um so jeremy i want to get back to you in um just kind of highlighting what our experiences were like is i have my we both have slightly different opinions of what that experience was like because we are different people so i want to get a clear picture of of how you perceive
3: right so that i mean that was one side of it we have the one son who really had intensive needs of um, someone being with him and engaging with him and, um, giving him one-to-one attention and all of that. And I, I found that the community we were in was at times very helpful and very willing to be part of that and wanting to be part of that. They might've needed some guidance. Um, we had a little bit of frustration trying to provide that in any kind of organized way. And, uh, but, but we, there were certainly people who were willing to until they got to a point where they weren't sure they physically could handle it. Uh, and there were a number of teenagers and who, who were very happy to help with that as well. And they were pretty good with him some of them. So that, that was nice. Uh, and I also, I think, I mean, in the sense of having him in a service where he could be loud at times and distracting and that kind of thing, there were always people who would come up to us and say, I understand it's difficult. Is there a way you can keep them a little quieter because it's very distracting? (laughs) There were always people who would come up to us and say that and I can sort of understand why they would be feeling that way. Um, I mean in some cases they might have a disability of their own where the distraction is making it very difficult for them to focus and concentrate on it and especially among people who are aging their hearing is going their, um, their uh, ability to, to multitask is going and, and that kind of thing. So I, t- I get that. I do understand that. But it did certainly feel to me like that was a bias against his disabilities and not finding a way to include him. And some of this did come through the church leadership. There were, there were deacons and, and elders in the congregation who would relay messages like that to preserve the anonymity of those who didn't want to say it to our face. So that, but I, I saw that as relatively minimal compared with some of the stuff that came later and that, that actually led us to, to leave the congregation. Uh, but but um, I generally had the, the view that they wanted to help, they wanted to be supportive, they wanted to try to accommodate whatever was necessary. And toward our other son who um, didn't need the same level of um, safety-related attention just to make sure everyone was, was safe and, and, and so on. Uh, I didn't have any problem with the way anyone was with him. Uh, I, I, some of the kids weren't really going out of their way to try to include him and find ways to befriend him. But that's kids. Um, so I don't know what their parents could have done to, to change that. But he he um, he participated in everything. They they were a little bit accommodating and trying to 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 do that in, in a number of ways. I think uh, when he was in high school, he participated in youth group activities, including service projects, and and um, I, I thought that was a pretty good experience for him.
2: From what I'm hearing, so, from what I'm hearing, his experience, your your eldest son, his experience was much more similar to mine than, probably than your second oldest yeah the f- whole thing with friends the whole thing with actually being active in 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 activities i was perhaps too much of that
3: <laughs> well he didn't have any interest in these activities we had to push him to, to take part in them but, but so
2: the the fitting in within those activities and the not being not not having people call him a disturbance, but still his issues being more in the acceptance realm, the social realm, all of these things are much more similar to what I went through than it would seem with with your second list. So yeah. I do yeah. relate to that.
3: You're you're more like him. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's not surprising. No, yes. it, yeah. So. <laughs>
0: family, we kind of had um, experiences, the experiences from both extremes with at least developmental disabilities. Um, there, there were issues with, with folks with physical disabilities because there were stairs everywhere and nowhere to, and no way to navigate yeah. this.
3: Yeah, we were renting a facility in a, an old Catholic school building that currently is only used for a pre-K program. And, and it was in, we were meeting in a gym. They finally have a building now where, where they don't have to worry about this. But yeah, whenever anyone would show up and they had a wheelchair, either they would have to walk up the stairs and someone would carry the wheelchair for them, or someone would have to basically have them lean on them and almost carry them up. Yes. The it shoe- was definitely not accessible.
2: Yeah, the school in which <laughs> so. I grew up, the shoe in which I grew up had st- from age nine had stairs everywhere. And anyone who knows, the university area of Syracuse, it's a couple of blocks from the Syracuse stage area. And there was a massive hill that you would have to climb and there was no parking within a block. You, there was one spot. So you would have to park a couple blocks away and walk up this hill that is a very steep grade and then climb these stairs. So my physical disability wasn't nearly as present when I was a kid it's been it's been occurring more in the past few years since i've turned hmm, past several years since i turned 17 or something like that and i don't know what i would have done had it been that then and had been inaccessible to me in that way because there was really no way around it hmm.
3: Yeah, and, and, and so, religious religious organizations that are tax exempt in the United States do not have to follow the ADA. Exactly. They, that was built in as an exception in when it was first put into place. And so no that, one has ever bothered to try to change that. And
2: that yeah. basically, so, that, basically potentially, that basically just potentially sets this ability and tendency for faith-based organizations to be inaccessible at the very least in the physical.
1: Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that I mm-hmm. saw on your uh, banner, uh, Sam, or was the idea of the essence of presence, or that, or that was on on Jeremy's. I, I like that phrase. The, well, essence.
3: Is the absence of presence. Oh, absence. But then, if you take that's a, that's, op- a Can- that's a Kansas album. Yeah, but yeah. Take, the, take the opposite or about
1: the essence of presence is being there. Because a lot of times when I've researched it in the past and I've mm-hmm. seen it, it's this value of what can they contribute because sometimes oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm just saying for those that are, are really physically disabled and can't communicate, I'm not talking about any of us. But what can we contribute? I mean, there's that gift, that whole idea of the body that Paul and Corinthians mentions, that we're all part of one body. We all have our unique gifts. And I think the essence of presence is really a key element of, of what our conversation is.
2: Agreed. But I think that's a fault in and of itself. We've talked before about utilitarianism and versus individualism and uh, reciprocity, e- valuing people by enabled people's eyes to what they can contribute, hmm. that's a fault in the system as a whole. And I think we see that especially often in faith communities because they can be this tightly woven network that's supposed to be family, familial, but evaluates, Okay, what can you do for us? Can you serve? And people will often overlook the ways in which some disabled people actually can serve, but even if they can't, that is a fault in the system as a whole, valuing people by what they can't contribute, rather than valuing them because
0: they are people. Yeah, I love I love Scott that you call that the essence of presence. That's, and I, I need to be clear that for all four of us, our, our common, our shared uh, religious experience is through Christianity. Um, I think we Some all come sl- there from from slightly from slightly different <laughs> slightly different paths, but there is this the, the the essence of presence that just by being present. Each of us brings something. Our, our very presence is essential to the to building the community and weaving those relationships and people together. And so would, if it, if the whole thing is set up in a way where some people cannot be present, we're missing something. And so that leads us to talking about well, how, why is including people with disabilities in our faith communities? Why is that important? Why, why should it be important to the faith community in question? And then the, the next thing is, well how do we include people with disabilities in these faith communities? You were going to say, Eliza? I think it's strange that faith communities,
2: especially those that are th- th- that are in the church especially, do not value people simply being there because present is something that they value in the spiritual, but they do not value it in the physical. People simply being there and contributing by their very presence there and being. Okay. No, it's I, an irony that I found in the church.
3: You do find, that there are people who are going out of their way to try to find ways to present content in a, in, a, in a group setting or maybe an individual setting that's geared toward the particular learning needs of someone with cognitive disabilities, that kind of thing. There, there was a group within uh, our city of Syracuse that was doing something like that across several churches that our, our church was taking part in. And they were having it was all adults. It wasn't they weren't even just reaching out to children. They were actually unusually recognizing there are adults with disabilities who have this particular kind of need. And they would have these groups where they would try to put it at a level that and and, and in a presentation way for the needs of the people who happened to be present. And they weren't all at the same level as each other in a number of ways. So our children weren't part of that because they were younger. They weren't they weren't adults at that time. But I thought that was a very nice. Uh, venture that that was going on and there were people in our church who were part of serving in that way and there were people in our church who were beneficiaries of that They were members of the group that was being um reached out to in that way and i i i uh i know there are some religious organizations that make an effort to do that sort of thing most of them don't no most of them have no interest in doing that it's, it's not even on their radar it's not something that they they realize could be done yeah. could be done so i mean what there's a guy who goes to that church every week um he's autistic he goes and he sits in the congregation he looks at his watch every three seconds he rocks and so on and no one says a word no one is bothered by that which i think is wonderful um he enjoys being there he requests to be there when he can't get a ride he's upset uh and, and he'll and he'll sit not very verbal he'll okay. use a few words here and there and and he but he will sit and listen to a 45 minute sermon a very intellectual 45 minute sermon and and he seems to like it see that how much does he get out of it i have no idea but Whether... his level of communication certainly does not demonstrate that he's appreciating it on the level that i would but again, how do you how do you know that exactly right? that's the underestimation
2: and i was asking about verbality or level level thereof mm-hmm. because that does change things you were saying that no one says a word to him
3: no they no say a word, word to him they talk to him they try yeah. they they they're friendly to him but but they no one, no no one complains regardless. about it no one complains about him rocking yeah. or looking at his watch every 3 seconds it's I mean, he, like it's just looking at his watch every 3 seconds yeah
2: regardless whether you're verbal or not does have a an in influence on the way in which people interact with you, which is why I asked that.
3: Yeah. But. Well, well yeah, I think a lot of people treat him as if he's not very intelligent.
2: That's the thing. They underestimation. That that's mm-hmm. the thing. Underestimation and assumption of lack of competence.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, the, 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 the assumption, oh, he can't get anything from this. He's here. He's listening. He's enjoying it. But no, he can't possibly get anything from this. He can't possibly understand this. There's no way of knowing that. You I, he could be getting more out of it than you are. He just doesn't want to demonstrate it in the way you might. Right. And that's the assumption I think that is really harmful in our faith communities. The the surface level of disability and taking it at face value with your assumptions that come from
0: society. There are, there are a couple things in the conversation so far that I want to pull out. One is that, um, one thing that is, is really effective at including people with disabilities in faith communities is interacting with them. Yeah. Without any expectation of reciprocation.
3: Mm-hmm. With
0: our, for our experience with both of our kids, both of our older kids who have disabilities, there were people who regularly greeted them, regularly asked them questions, um, regularly you know, shared those, those, those little social back and forth, regardless of, of if they responded. And after years and years of doing this, you know, one day they would get a, a spontaneous hello, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, he responded this time because they were persistent in reaching out. So, that's one thing that anyone in any faith community can do to include people with disabilities. Say hello, whether or not you get a hello back. Say, how are you doing? Whether or not you get a response back.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Care about yep. your life and your experiences, whether you get a response back or not, and ask about their life and their experiences, whether or not we get a response back. That's that anybody can do with zero training. All you gotta do is show up. And, the same way that we need to make space for people with disabilities to show up. One of the things that abled folks can do for people with disabilities is to also show up.
2: I also, think, I also think that something there is, don't have this narrow interpretation of, what a response can be. That is really limiting for people who are less verbal or nonverbal altogether. Having this expectation that he's going to say hello or or that is what a response looks like
0: Mm.
2: is really limiting not only is it limiting for the disabled person but it's limiting for yourself you don't get the social interaction with this additional person if you are not willing to expand your definition of what a response looks like and hmm. I, I, I know that, that that can be the case with with your second eldest son, he communicates plenty. He just doesn't necessarily do it verbally. And if someone yeah. assumes, oh, he's not, he's not responding to me verbally, he's not communicating with me, and I'm gonna stop doing it, or I'm or he's not communicating with me in general, even if I keep doing it, you're missing that opportunity to communicate with this person who is clearly trying to communicate
0: with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, We had had the experience that um, people persisted, whether or not they understood what, whether or not his response was typical or what one would typically expect, they persisted. And, you know, he understood that persistence because eventually he got to a point where he would spontaneously greet certain people. Not (laughs) everyone, just certain individuals. Um, the other thing that I wanted to pull out that I, I think um, has been mentioned a few times is this idea of long-term support, long-term efforts at inclusion because disabilities are lifelong. For, for those of us who are disability comes when we are, yeah, basically when we're born, that disability goes with us until the natural end of our lives and hopefully it's a natural end of your life so there 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 may sometimes be a certain amount of fatigue I know as a parent battle fatigue is a thing because it's constant work every single day to advocate and to make sure that you that the the kiddos who are now adults so it's a slightly different kind of battle are getting what they need and there's that there's that battle fatigue that we also experience in our faith communities because we're constantly making the point that this person deserves to be here, this person deserves to be included. But there's also a certain amount of a, a certain amount of struggle for the faith community in that they don't understand that it's an everyday thing to include people with disabilities. To be fair- that it isn't something that you get to stop doing. It, it, it keeps going. Yeah. To be fair, I think the fact that you're also autistic, even though you
2: didn't know it for quite a while, does contribute to this. That you have that level of
0: fatigue, not oh, yeah. only for your kids, but for yourself. And, you know, I, I'm a bit of an empath. So wherever someone is hurting, wherever yes. someone's in trouble, feel that. it's been a rough week. week. Um, Scott, you were going to say?
1: Yes, uh, thank you. The way to include is with my friend Gary. Uh, A lot of uh, some of our pastors, like Pastor Tim, when Gary had some problems, he opened up his office, so instead of my going to Sunday school, I sat with Gary and several of us as a congregation sat with him, and we just shared our lives, and that helped a lot, getting through a particular struggle in his, uh, with his family and, and with just fitting into life. That's important. And then he had several of his uh, staff help with some of the lasagna meals, and, or we brought down pizza and we just had fellowship with him in his apartment. And that was, and he got to share his stories of his family and his photos. And that's important. And then if you look at the biblical example of Jonathan and, and uh, David, that it was his grandson and obviously with Saul being a chasing after David so long he reached out to the family he wanted to honor someone in in that household so he included the mephibosheth i forget i can't say his name perfectly but he included him in his at his table at his table go meph and and that's, that's the whole idea of inclusion. And we're talking about the environment. It's, a lot of times we grow up and we're used to our own environment. And especially, in, and when you enter the world, I saw something on the birth process and then you have these little babies entering the world. And especially when I entered the world uh, almost 58 years ago, you have that problem of how do you integrate or how do you put put them in that community. And then also there's that emotional aspect that my mom has when, when she and my dad had me who wasn't functioning as well. And then you see the, the Christmas story with Jesus in the manger, it can be difficult.
0: Um, I, wanted to, uh, <laughs> I wanted to go back to, again, this idea of one, the enduring support, the support that support that needs to continue to be there because the disability isn't going to go away. And people wanting to help and wanting to provide support and wanting to include people with disabilities, but not really knowing how. And oftentimes the burden falls on families to teach everyone else around them how to help and what to do. And sometimes we don't always know, to be honest oftentimes we're making it up as we go along as well. Yeah. So, you know, when folks were asking me questions about how do I do this, how do I include, um, there were times where I'm like, I just haven't got a clue. This is my first time doing this, I don't know. So what would be some of your suggestions for a faith community that wants to include people with disabilities but they don't really know how. Jeremy, I'll
3: start with you. I mean, it really depends on the disabilities and the people involved in their situation. I think we try get get to know someone, make them part of your life, try to understand what their challenges are, see if you can find ways to, to, to help meet those in a way that the people in question will welcome, which means asking them, <laughs> not just doing stuff, hmm. but, Um, I mean, I, we certainly had people who, who reached out to us over the years and offered to help us with things, but often it turned out to be one or two occasions. Mm -hmm. And then we didn't hear from them again when we really did need ongoing support and and, and help not to diminish what they would do. I mean, we had people who would show up and clean our house and uh, do our laundry. And I mean, there was one woman who did our laundry for weeks in a row. Wow. We'd we'd put our laundry out on the porch. She'd take it. She'd wash it for us, dry it, and bring it back. (laughs) Just to just to give us give us a little bit of a break from something. Uh, a young woman came over and, and helped clean our house for I don't know, several days, a few three, four weeks in a row, and then we didn't hear from her again. But it it on that issue anyway. But it 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 um it's hard to sustain something like that unless you make a commitment to make it part of your regular weekly schedule, I guess. And, um, but I, I mean, I, I am convinced that tries to divide us as much as possible. So <laughs> if you're gonna pick something, pick something and be committed to it and do it and continue it in the long-term rather than, hey, let me help this person in this way, this person in this way, this person in this way. And then you just burn yourself out. You don't get much done and none of them end up being helped in the long run. So um, if you really are interested in being committed to find a way to either befriend someone or help their needs in some way or um, provide something for them that no one is providing for them, uh, trying to find a way to, to give them a voice, trying to find a way to uh, get them social interaction that they have a hard time getting themselves uh, as long as they welcome that trying to find a way to include them when it's difficult to figure out how to include them, that kind of thing. Uh, I would say it's great to do that, but make sure you're gonna commit yourself to it if you're gonna start. Yeah, I've seen lots and lots of cases that there is a start <laughs> and then there's just the start. We don't, I mean, COVID hasn't helped. COVID has made things a lot worse with that.
0: No, it so. doesn't help. <laughs>
1: uh, how, how has it helped in uh, terms of it? Uh, COVID is now fading a little bit. I mean, how is it? It's still there, but it's less. I mean, it, may, it might help there. But also, yeah. you, you can answer that in a minute, but I wanted to also say that a good way, we're talking about practical ways. Uh, our church has meal trains when there's families that might be in trouble, whether it's a new baby or even someone with long-term disabilities. When we had, when the Terrells had uh, Naomi, Grace Terrell, she had Uh, Neiman picks very rare disease but a lot of times we as a congregation one time we had a special prayer service where I read a poem about balloons and to encourage them And, and those are ways to do it just having like a prayer service or just meal trains just ways to include everyone in this whole presence of life
0: Liza, how about you? What are some of your suggestions for faith communities that want to include people with disabilities and want them to be part of the fabric of the life of that community?
2: Well, first of all, the fact that there's that desire is, unfortunately, perhaps less common than it should be. Whether that's because of lack of knowledge or anything of the sort, but I suggest this in any long-term interaction with disabled people. Don't assume that immediately that they are less confident, competent rather than abled people. Don't assume that they're not necessarily going to respond to or want to communicate with you. Open, broaden your definition of what counts as communication because there's so much more to it than a lot of able people think of. And more than anything, if there's something that you would be okay with for someone else, allow the disabled person that. Don't try and divide us. Don't try and other us. And even if you're not trying to do it, try to avoid, actively avoid doing it. It seems basic, but. Think of us as just as much part of your community as anyone else may be, anyone. And if you are trying to grade us by what we can contribute when you may not be doing that for other people, when you may not even have that expectation of able people, seriously reconsider The way in which you're thinking about disability. Because if you are valuing people by what they can contribute, but you are putting, placing that expectation more so on disabled people, then there is something wrong with the way you're doing things, even if you're not conscious of it. But it seems basic, but include us. All the things that I said before, but also think of us as full members of your community, because I can say for sure that there are a lot of faith communities where that isn't the case. Because a lot of faith communities, even though, especially in the church, supposedly they're, they're teaching about, you know, the only thing that matters is whether you believe in the sacrifice and and all that. A lot of them are, unfortunately, works-based and
0: that's what they value as part of the community you bring up a, a lot of great points all three of you did and i think the thing that sticks out the most is that the way to create an inclusive faith community is to focus on building community Yes. focus on finding ways to connect to other people And Jeremy, your suggestion that if someone wants to help, they first build a relationship with a person and then be committed to that person long-term. That's a great idea. And what I have, the positive experiences that I've had in faith communities have been exactly that where someone connects with me and commits to walking along with me as I experience things, and so I highly recommend that, that if you want to create a welcoming environment in your community, in your faith community for people with disabilities, you start by picking an individual or a family and getting to know that individual or that family, getting to know their experiences getting to know what things are hard for them and getting to know what things they need help with and then committing to meeting those needs. And one one of the things that's really important when you pursue relationships like that is that you get back yes what you invest yes. in people and more. Oh and, yes and more. You you it might not look the way that you that you would typically think it's not going to be it might not be someone keeping pure profuse praise upon you for doing good works it might just be that someone learns to like your presence in their lives it might just be that you become a comfort to someone and they are appreciative of that fact
1: and speaking of comfort that's as in uh one of the passages that paul writes uh, he's comforted when or we comfort it in, in, our, in our own infirmities. And also to help with that whole process is prayer because then we're all level because when Jesus in the, in the, in the parables, he always included the children. He never had that otherness. He always included everyone. And that's yes. remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I think if we just modeled that, just even just slightly, because I sometimes had a challenge when when there are some people that are struggling like Naomi was, at times I was afraid to go near her. I mean, I feel bad about that, but that's sometimes how I am because I grew up in, in a fully disabled community of, of Henry Viscardi School. And, and even when we had a party for a Luau for disabled, we had about 10 people in wheelchairs that didn't communicate. I just broke down. It's hard. So it can be intense. Especially if you're in a family long-term. Yeah. Especially for those five or six years when I was developing. And I didn't talk till age five and it took me all to, to eat. My mom struggled, but she kept being persistent. And that's why I'm here today. And that's why I'm a little persistent sometimes. Or, <laughs> But it, it's that daily grind that we all go through. And that's the thing I want the listeners to know about is that it's not an easy easy path to be accepting, to take that risk. Because when I heard Pastor Dave once uh, say the disabled needed God, and I talked to Keith Rose and said, okay, then I found the County Center. I thought that's what we're gonna focus on because I knew they were involved. I knew they were aware. And then the whole doors opened up. But the awareness is a first step.
2: Well, if we're talking about Christianity, and I'm only gonna go into this briefly, but if we're talking about Christianity, he certainly demonstrated going to those who were stigmatized, going to those who were other tax collectors were not welcomed at all. And yet, he fellowshiped with one of them. And it's not that, in, that level of inclusion, people that were not well-liked or that were singled out. But regardless of what religion to which he was scribed, I say the same thing as I say for classrooms build that community and think of disabled people as equal and competent and think of us as worth communicating with. Because like Scott said, you will get something in return, you will get us, you will get our friendship, you will get
0: another person to communicate with and and we'll get you. And one more thing, I think, Liza, you were the one who pointed it out, that there first needs to be the desire to want an yes. inclusive faith community. But, you know, not everybody wants to have an inclusive faith community. And so that's the first hurdle to, 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 to jump over that those of us who live with disability have, would have to address finding a faith community that actually wants to be inclusive to people with disabilities and that's that's a hard that's a hard search to to find some place that has people that want to yeah. be inclusive in that way and
2: unfortunately we're not going to get all the people who don't out of congregational leadership that's a massive task even if they shouldn't be in congregational leadership in the first place because Let's be honest, if you don't want your faith community community to be inclusive, then you are going against most of what your religion, regardless of what it is. I know about a lot of different ones. I've studied some values. And if these people do not have the desire for faith communities to be inclusive, they shouldn't be in congregational leadership, but we can't achieve that unless able people come beside us. And if not, the next thing we can do is find places that will, find places that do want to be inclusive and will accept us. It's a hard task. And if you're someone who's disabled looking for a faith community listening to this, it's probably gonna be difficult, but there are those out there that
0: are, and want to, and are willing. And I think it's important too, for people who are in leadership of faith communities to understand how hard it is- Oh yeah. Into a new community, not knowing if you will be accepted or not. Mm -hmm. That's something that leaders in faith communities need to wrestle with. There are people who want to be part of your community but they don't know if they would be welcomed because there's, there's really no good indication that that's the thing. And that will so, only
2: happen if we as disabled people share our experiences
0: with them.
1: And yeah. it's more so than just one having... Of the,
0: one of the things that's important for creating an inclusive community, uh, a, a, a religious community that's inclusive of disability, is that people need to see that desire for inclusion coming from their leadership. Mm-hmm. You were
1: going to say something, Scott? Yeah, it's more than just uh, having a sign because. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, you, you can have a sign that has the wheelchair <sighs> symbol or just open arms or whatever. It, it's that individual effort because, as a famous saying we've mentioned many times, that we are the church or whatever congregation you're part of, yes. it's those members that are at the actual church.
3: Because there's yep. different
1: definitions and we want to respect each one's opinion. And that is, as, as a church, as a body, as and I've mentioned many times, like the Apostle Paul, he mentions each one of us, whether we're the eye, the arm, the heart, or the brain. And even when you go to Oz, when you go to Wizard of Oz, they're trying to find and complete what they lacked. Yes. The heart, for the lion, for courage, and all the other things and even just Dorothy wanting to come back home after taking a journey and a lot of times we're on this Oz journey we're then plopped into a, a foreign land we're trying to get to a wizard or someone to help us and then they say oh come back later when you've done this
2: yes and it's the just thing your- is- Performative inclusion is all too common, unfortunately. Something that can make you and your faith community feel better and feel like you're doing something without actually doing anything for us. And that is that signpost that you were talking about.
3: Yeah. yeah. You so know, if the you're sign that actually do tedious. something.
0: If you're gonna do something, actually do something. The sign on the outside of the building is meaningless it's what's going on on the inside
1: yeah
0: that I mean, that will that will clearly communicate to to someone i mean this brings me back to
2: the i'm gonna bring it back to education because that's what i always do and i think a lot of the principles that we talk about in education apply to faith communities as well this brings us back to the rowley case amy rowley where. The intention of the Supreme Court and Congress, the intention of Congress especially when approving IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, was not to provide disabled individuals meaningful education or to provide them anything meaningful within the building. It was simply to say they're in there Hmm. so that they could be okay with it, so that they could do the little bit that they needed say, yep, yep, we're doing okay. And again, that sign that people are in the building, disabled people are in the building, if they're not getting any getting anything from that, then it's, then it's pointless, it's meaningless. And the same thing is true in churches, if you and in other faith communities, if you have a signpost on the outside saying, we accept everyone, including disabled people. And this is true for any other community as well, whether it's the LGBTQ community or people of color, anything of the sort. If you have this sign outside saying we accept blank, but you're not doing anything active to accept those people, then you need to change your tune. Harsh, I know I tend to be
0: that way, but it's true. Jeremy, okay, any last comments? Because we are way over time.
3: Yes. Well, I wanted to say a couple of quick things. One is um, you often have attitudes within religious communities, probably a little more so than in some other communities that are anti-medication, yes. particularly psychoactive medication, where some people will take a medication to help them keep their mood balanced or to help them keep impulsivity under control or to help them to engage in executive function and focusing and things like that. And it's well-documented what these medications do and that they're helpful and useful. And yet there's this judgment on using them as if there's something wrong with parents who let their children take these things or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and, and on adults who take them. And I think that's worth drawing attention to. It's not oh, something yeah. that, that people should be making judgments about. The other is um, we have often been judged on our child's behavior in a way that they're, they're clearly evaluating how we discipline him. And in some cases, they might be seeing what we do and what we don't do and saying, well, that's, a, that's not how you discipline a child when they actually have no idea what works with a child like him. And we actually have looked into the research on that and we paid very close attention to what works and what doesn't work. In his case, we've listened to the educators who work with him, who, who, who have figured out what works and doesn't work with him and so on. And they say, well, you don't say anything to him after he does something like push someone. Like, yes, exactly, we don't because that would reinforce the behavior. We have to deal with it in other ways and there are other ways to deal with it, but that's not something you want to do in a case like him because it makes it worse. But you, in their view, unless you speak harshly to him or engage in physical discipline or something like that, you're not disciplined. And that what is discipline? Discipline is intended to... Help move him in a direction that is going to make him be able to to function better and be safe around people. Yeah, we and need. If, to force... And if you're going to do things that that make it worse, as they're telling us to do, then then that's not disciplining him. That's something else. That's punishing. No. him. Yeah. it's not disciplining him.
2: There's a there's a there's a, a fine line between the two, and people often get that mistaken. And it's yeah. definitely true in faith communities from what I've found that punishment is seen as more worthy in changing behavior than discipline which can you that can use reinforcement of positive behaviors. And that extends throughout the church, throughout the community and the medication thing I've experienced that myself, I am on multiple phys- medications for physical things and psychiatric
0: medications. So it's all too common. Yeah, those are, those are some great points, Jeremy. Um, particularly I mean, in my experience, when I'm out in the community, for the most part, when I need to deal with something, um, you know, so deal with something that's a little bit more challenging or different than what people would, would expect, For the most part, people are like, oh, is that how you do it? Does that really work? Is he okay? Okay. Um, But in faith communities, people are more likely to assume that I don't know what I'm doing and need to be told how to do it rather than um, take the position that I must have experience and must know what I'm doing because I'm with this kid yeah. all the time. Because I, I,
2: th- I think that might be further complicated if people find out you're disabled or autistic yourself. I don't know how much experience you've had with that, but that definitely
0: complicates things. Yeah. I, I, I generally can't tell what people are thinking when I'm like, oh yeah, I'm autistic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most of the time it's like, oh, that's nice but it's, yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, yeah. So this, is, this has been a great conversation and one I think we maybe wanna visit again and, and tackle, you know, things like traditions. And, yeah. you know, what, where, what's the balance between adhering to traditions, but also being able to adapt to, in, to include people who, Maybe can't follow those traditions. Exactly. And,
2: and it would be lo- it would be lovely to include people from different communities and experiences in ourselves. And, and certainly if you're listening and are from
0: a different faith community, we welcome your input and your experiences. So you have been listening to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on Straight Independent Radio. Check out the new website straight with an eight, IndieRadio.us. I am the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce, and our show is sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and Sanchia.org. Check us out online for all the great things we do with people with disabilities. Thank you, Liza, Scott, and Jeremy for being part of this conversation. And folks, we will be back next week with another great conversation about things that are important to people with disabilities by people with disabilities. Have a good one.